Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writer's Block Podcast. I'm your host, JR. Uh, JR. I should know this. It's right tip of my tongue. I, I'll get to it. I'll remember. Don't sweat it. Tonight's episode brought to you by Havland. That's it. Oof, JR Havland. That felt good. Anyway, tonight's episode brought to you by the letter F, the number 17, and Wood. Try to pick just one, right? Good luck. My guest is the extremely amiable and welcoming and talented Mr. Chuck Tatham, writer for How I Met Your Mother, or Himim, if you're in a hurry. Chuck started his sitcom writing career at Full House, of course. Here's a fun little recollection from those early days. Early on, some, uh, uh, I don't know, my brother or I, somebody else asked uh, Mark Warren, one of the showrunners, how can you tell, because the, the twins played Michelle in the show, Mary-Kate and Ashley uh-huh. Olsen. How can you tell which one is Mary-Kate and which one is Ashley? And he said, well, first you have to give a shit, which I thought was really... <laughs> <laughs> is that true? It's true. Such a... Oh, my God. It's Mark, so if you're listening, I love you. In the business, we call stories like that gold. Chuck has also written for numerous other shows, including the groundbreaking Arrested Development, which, of course, I ask him about. And here's the good part. He answers me. See, that's the kind of cooperation we're always looking for here on Writer's Block. This is a Q and A, not a Q with the option to A. You need both. Obviously, you need the A to get to the Q, but without the A, what good is the Q? You don't have to A that. It's a rhetorical Q. Chuck talked to me during my recent trip to L.A., literally minutes before heading to the final of her table read for How I Met Your Mother, which is always a very emotional time for a sitcom staff, so big thanks to him for being so gracious. There's tons of great stuff in here. It was a pleasure meeting Chuck and picking his brain. You're about to hear the result, and I hope you like it. This is episode 33. My guest is Chuck Tatham. I'm J.R. Havlin. You're part of the writer's block now. Good choice. <laughs> Between me and the nearest crapper. Oh, just, oh. It goes right through. Oh, that's true? Yeah. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, it's really crazy. I, yeah. I have no, like, the whole food allergy thing is, like, not a thing. How old are you? 50. Yeah, yeah. I'm 50 in June. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it, it is not a thing that I grew up with. And now with the kids, like, you can't, oh, you can't bring a nut into the classroom. Yeah. yeah. So Don't bring a nut? Yeah. What do you, what do you Who do? Who brings you, nuts? What kind of homicidal maniac has a peanut butter sandwich? You're glad. Yeah. <laughs> You're selfish <laughs> bastard. Yeah. 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 What are you thinking? Yeah. It's the worst thing ever. You're a yeah. terrible child. It's worse than the Holocaust. I said it. I said it, and I mean it this time. I, I mean say it. that a lot. Yeah. I like to sneak in a good Holocaust like joke it. before I... the guy knows what's happening. <laughs> so then well, now you're stuck with that. Yeah. I only edit out stuff you say. All oh, the stuff Jesus I say Christ. stays in. Okay. <laughs> no, trust me, I edit out mostly what I say. Oh, I understand completely. This is uh, J.R. Havlin, uh, the writer's black. My guest is uh, Chuck Tatham. Or is it Charles? What is, uh... Uh, technically Wait. Charles, but I yeah, go right. by Chuck. As a yeah. young man... Uh, when someone would yell Chuck or anything that sounded like Chuck, I would turn and smile. So I, I respond to a lot of profanity. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, they scream it out. You're exactly. like, yeah, that's me. What that's can I do me. for you? I just told that guy to move. Um, but Chuck's fine. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, writer for How I Met Your Mother for the last six seasons, which is, how long was the show on? This will uh, we'll be wrapping up nine seasons. Nine. Uh, I started season four. And it feels like I've been here for the whole schmear, but no, there was there was there were uh, 
75 episodes before I got here. Did you watch the show before you came? I did. I did. <coughs> not not devoutly. I don't think I watch anything very devoutly right, right yeah. now. Uh, except for, well, House of Cards starts tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And got picked up for the what, third season or yeah, something. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. But uh, lo- I had lots of, I had some good friends who were already working here. Jonathan Groff, who's no longer with the show, great guy. Yeah, he uh, I knew him in stand-up back in New York. Oh, really? And yeah. he was the head writer for Conan O'Brien when I was uh, did stand-up on the show. Uh, he's he's a delight, and he was here, and he uh, must have put somebody in a headlock, to, uh, and he said to hire Chuck, and uh, when the dust settled, I was here, and I haven't been happier. They went for it? They fell for it? They fell for it. I mean, there was some... I'm a pretty big guy. I also roughed up some people, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll take you down. Yeah. You don't have to hire me, but I'll take you down. <laughs> exactly. I will kill you. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I like to talk a little bit about, uh, um, you know, how you got where you are. A relatively typical question, but it's a good question. Uh, you yeah. were, um, you're a Canadian. Canadian, Canadian. yeah. A lot um, of good things happening up there. You got your Rob Ford, your Rob Ford, <laughs> your Rob Ford, and your you, Rob Ford. You got your Rob Ford. He's uh, Toronto's nickname many moons ago, I think still to a certain extent, was the Big Smoke. Because that, when you drove towards Toronto, that's where the factories were. Now, Rob Ford gives new meaning to the phrase, the big smoke. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, I was raised in Guelph, about an hour west of Toronto. And uh, Dad was a newspaper guy. And he said, when I got my degree in English, he said, learn how to write on a clock. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you go and spend five years writing a novel, that's not going to help anybody. I've seen the way you write. <laughs> but if you go to an ad agency or a newspaper or a radio station or something like that, and he was an old-school guy, you'll learn not only how to write, but in two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. I need five radio ads by lunch. I need this by in an hour. And so I went into advertising in Toronto and in Chicago, ultimately, and I learned how to write. I I can't speak to the quality of anything I've ever written, but I learned how to write. Was your father a publisher or a writer? He was both. He he, he owned and operated weekly newspapers in Canada, as did his father. And my whole family, uh, my brother's a great writer. My mother and my sister are both MDs, but they're wonderful writers. But uh, that was promoted in our house. Yeah. Be funny, write, 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 write. Be articulate, uh, this interview notwithstanding. Uh, and <laughs> Articulate. Arti- be very articulate. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe we were indoors a little bit more than some families because it was pretty cold. So there was a lot of around the kitchen table. Uh, quasi-competitive, funny household. And then... Uh, Got in advertising. My brother, Jamie, and I both were in advertising, and we wanted to come down here. That's right. I read. He came yeah. here with you to pursue. To like, pursue. You, did you yeah. have... You You were both in advertising at the time. We're, were you doing these kind of like, hey, we need this in five seconds kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. everything in the, the... I worked in a sweatshop. I worked in a real well, sweatshop. Well, that's good training for yeah. this then. It was you know, It's not training. as sweaty, but it's still a shop. It's a it? shop, and it's really... There's just, there's just no getting around it. There's no... This has to be written by 11 a.m. Yeah. And it's... It's a quarter to ten right now. You've got to write it. And we're going to take it into a studio and record it. And it'll be on the radio tomorrow. So it's, you know, uh, I, and again, the, you, would, you would sacrifice quality sometimes. Right. But you would learn if you wanted to be, and everything I wrote, I tried to be funny. I mean, it just, you, you're in an ad agency. Um, was that your job there? I mean, were you the funny guy at the ad agency? Well, or what, I, I, did, they give you, did they give you particular assignments that were they did, more comedic because they, you had that? They did. They, that? they gave me regular assignments that I tried to make comedic. Okay. And and uh, usually that worked. Usually the the client and the the, the guys upstairs would say, "That's yeah, funny. Put it on. You know, use it." Um, but that was, I mean, that was that worked out to about after seventy and eighty hour weeks. Sorry, I just want to check something. 
And I apologize. That, that worked out to uh, seventy or eighty hour weeks. You yeah. said. Oh, oh there was some. There was some. And then you. I mean, I went in there the first day, and I said, uh, they, a couple of guys hired me, and I went in the first day, and I, I went to their office, and I said, I don't want to be a bother, you know, in typical Canadian fashion. How much am I making? And they both burst out laughing. He said, you don't know how much you're making? I said, no, you, that's right, you didn't ask. Go up to personnel. So I went up to personnel. Long story short, I discovered I was making $13,000 a year. Oof. And when it turned now, out... this was in 1923. This was though, 1923, right? okay, and so I it was... It wasn't radio. Loaded. It wasn't radio. It was smoke signal. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I crunched the numbers. I was making 18 cents an hour. And it was just... You know, it was, and I'd had enough. So anyway... Canadian, though. So in fairness... It was really zero. It rounds down to zero in the States. <laughs> I'm shot to nothing. It's nothing. I was doing charity work at an ad <laughs> I owed them at the end it of the was, week. I was a non-profit. Um, <laughs> a brother, Jamie, and I moved down here... <laughs> And if anybody is interested in in, our, in what I think was a sort of an effective strategy for uh, insinuating ourselves into this Hollywood community, yeah, great, please. We didn't, we couldn't just arrive. We were Canadians. We couldn't just say we live here now. You know, ninety-three percent of the people I deal with are Americans, so they can come to LA and say, "I'm here." What happens? Yeah, we had to be very surgical. We didn't have a ton of dough. We would come down. And, and stay at the Beverly Laurel Motor Inn over on, on Beverly Boulevard for a week and just harass the crap out of people. Producers, writers, directors, agents. Find out who might help us. Find out who might read our stuff. Calling them? Going to buildings? Calling, or? going to buildings. Went to the Writers Guild and got the list of the agencies, because this was pre-internet, mm -hmm. and literally called every agency and said, is there someone there who'll represent us? And it was, you know, followed immediately by a dial tone. Now, did you guys have samples? We point? had written a you knew sample. That much, at least. I mean, yeah, this we, is not some blind, crazy thing. We knew, we thought we knew that if an agent got, first of all, we thought if we just give the script, like we wrote an episode of The Simpsons, give it to the guys at The Simpsons, they'll hire us. Yeah, so you didn't know that. We yeah. didn't know that you right. couldn't just give it to, right. directly to them. And more than one person says, you're going to have to get an agent. And more than one person said, it's going to be harder to get an agent than a job. Which is interesting, and in hindsight, I think they were correct, because many of the agents would say, "I'm a busy person. I have a lot of clients. Why would I spend 45 seconds a day on you? Why would I, you know, roll over in bed to help you? There's no discernible reason to do that because I can't see any any uh, evidence to suggest you're going to generate revenue." And that was disheartening. We were at Simpson, <laughs> to say the least. Good word for it. Uh, yeah, we were, but we were also, <coughs> we were in a, like a lot of people, we were in a, a sort of a nothing to lose scenario. We could always go back to advertising. We could go back to working like in a, you know. Did a, you a, give a, yourself, did you say like, we said, give ourselves a year? Two years, two, two years. years, two years. And uh, anyway, we finally, a guy named Stuart Jacobs at the Irv Schechter agency. That guy owes me 10 bucks. What? Yes. Does he really? Since then. What? So this is plus inflation. Okay, okay. Uh... He said, he read The Simpsons, and he read, I think we wrote a Frasier? Mm -hmm. I think it was a Frasier. He said, this is funny stuff. I'll represent you. I'll take a flyer on you. He sent it out to a bunch of shows, and a show we'd never seen responded, a show called Full House yeah. with the little the Olsen twins. And It was already going? It was in its fourth or fifth or sixth season. Uh-huh. And they brought us in for an interview, and my brother and I just went in, and they said, uh, we'd love to... Uh, hire you guys do you have any questions and I remember saying can we wear shorts and they said yes and I was like yes we can wear shorts That's I mean, a question. Know, it was 40 degrees outside they didn't know what that question was all about <laughs> but uh, uh, we got on full house one of the uh, early rule of it was very funny Mark Warren was one of the guys that ran the show and it was 
And this was our indoctrination to entertainment. It was the Warner Brothers lot. It was a top 20 show. It was making a lot of yeah, money. Right. We were the little guys at the end of the table. How soon did it, uh, how long did it take you to ask how much you were going to make in this Well, it w it's funny. Uh, when we found out what we were going to make, and I don't recall exactly what it was, but I believe it was 43 times what we had previously <laughs> made. <laughs> so whatever it was, it was 43 times. Uh, now so the fact 43 that, times 13 cents. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, the fact that the agent <coughs> was taking 85% was a lot. Early on, some, uh, uh, I don't know, my brother or I, somebody else asked uh, Mark Warren, one of the showrunners, how can you tell, uh, which is, because the, the twins played Michelle in the show, Mary-Kate and Ashley uh -huh. Olsen. How can you tell which one is Mary-Kate and which one is Ashley? And he said, well, first you have to give a shit, which I thought was really... <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? It's true. Such a oh my god! It's Mark, so if you're listening, I love you, and you yeah. love those. You love Ashley and Mary. Yeah, it's crazy. just a joke. It's, it's a joke based on some sort of potentially exactly. realistic exactly. feeling, but yes. you know, it's mostly a joke. Mostly a joke, it's a good, and it's a strong joke. Well, so you got to take solid. it. I've been repeating it for years. That's um, <laughs> a good go-to. But uh, my brother came to his senses after three years in Full House. He gravitated back to Canada, and I went on. I went on my own. Full House was a Warner Brothers. Your brother show. worked at Full House though for a little while. With me for three. Was for not my, into it or something. Oh, he he enjoyed it, but his, his resting pulse is about eleven, and you know he 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 has a bullshit threshold, and, okay. and it's lower than mine. You hate to say it, you will on a fairly regular basis be encountering situations and people in this business who aren't strictly <laughs> speaking sincere. <laughs> so again, well phrased. <laughs> And uh, I think uh, Hollywood sometimes gets a bad rap. I mean, everyone's a lying scum bucket. And I guess in the same kind of respect, in that case, first you have to give a shit. Well, first yeah. you have to. Well, that's true. Yeah. That is true. And you will. Your find brother yourself, gave a shit. And yeah, yeah, said, yeah. I'm going. Well, that's you're very, you're absolutely correct. He has a tremendous integrity, and I, 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 <laughs> I have some nice shoes. I check my soul at the border. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's funny because you are going to necessarily find yourself in situations if you have any success where you're writing things that. You don't watch. You're writing programs that you that that don't really, really, really interest you. Yeah, but I mean, you know? like I've I've talked to plenty of people about this, and and and, uh, and I think you're already like it's it's obvious that you'll agree with this. But the idea of like, for, look, you get a job, you know, you like yeah. the one thing you don't want to be you don't want to be as picky about your job, particularly, I mean, obviously in the beginning, but even as you're kind of going along, you don't have to stay in that place. You still get that experience. You still uh -huh. get that money. You still have that on your resume. Yep. But it's like, you know, and, and no matter what the place is, you're going to learn something. If not something that helps you, then something that you know to stay away from. Yes, yes. And you're going to meet people. You're going to meet yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my brother and I have full house. This was a kid. Well, Dave Coulier, he's one of your countrymen. Uh, no? Close. Uh, St. Clair Shores, Michigan. Right oh, across, I thought he was a Canadian. Right, he actually a Canadian. He's a very good hockey player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's but, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I know my brother and I said, well, we sort of thought we'd wind up on The Simpsons or... Frazier or something, or Friends or something Those like that. Those are the ones we wrote. And yeah, yeah. Sort of like this and kind of up, silly, blind sort of yeah, feeling. Yeah. And, 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 and you love that. When you meet a young writer, you love the fact that they're aim, aiming high. I think <coughs> to your point, they have to be realistic. And, and we wound up having a blast on Full House. Yeah. Meeting people we still have friends, we're still friends with today. Sure. 
And it's at Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers said, after Full House, go on, on Suddenly Susan, or uh, Living Single with Queen Latifah. Right, yeah. Warner nice. Brothers show. What a wild, how uh, do you write? How'd... That was uh, just, um, I, I sort of thought I could Is write. that a world? That you, did you go in there thinking, like, how well, how am I going to contribute to I, you? Well, I, I, I watched the show and thought, these are stories and jokes that, that I can do. They're, they're okay. relatable. So it's really just family stuff. Young it's not singles. Like you... I mean, you went from a kid show to a young single show, and then Warner Brothers, after two years at Living Single, which I enjoyed immensely and yeah. had a lot of fun with, I went to Suddenly Susan with Brooke Shields, which was a slightly more, um, uh, you know, I don't know, sophisticated show. It was show. definitely it was polished. NBC. I, yeah. I, 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 as I was going down your resume, I got to that, and I was like, that's a show that I watched, but I don't know why exactly. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't pinpoint it, it exactly fun, what caused me to do that. Exactly. <laughs> but the show, uh, Steve Peterman and Gary Donzig won a lot of Emmys on Murphy Brown, and they ran Suddenly Susan. They oh, really okay. know how to. I don't. I haven't had too many showrunners for whom I've worked that that weren't organized and bright and knew what they were doing. These guys, Steve and, and Gary, were fantastic. Yeah, well, we ha actually, there's interesting, and, and looking again through all your stuff, I, I noticed a, a lot of overlap in showrunners and actors and stuff like yeah. that. I'd like to talk about that, but we're going to take just a little bit of a break, sure. and we'll come right back. I'm talking to Chuck Tatham, writer for How I Met Your Mother. Uh, finale on March 31st. Yes. Final table read today, and thank you for squeezing me in on I know, it's and Valentine's. I know. Oh, God, happy Valentine's, we'll I forgot to, to say. We're, ac we're actually hugging everybody. Yes, yeah. and we're going to, uh. or we're going to. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Or we'll be right back. I almost forgot to mention it was also Valentine's Day, and what better way for me to spend it than talking to a man who isn't my wife. And for the record, there was some hugging, but it was gentle, and it stopped there. Moving on, Chuck shares his experience meeting the extraordinary Mitch Hurwitz and eventually working with him on the extra-extraordinary Arrested Development. You could turn this off now, but seriously? And we're back. I don't yes, know why I say back. that. It seems like the thing you got to say. I'm, I'm just, we're back. It's a good yeah. way back in. You it know? gets everybody to settle in. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's worked for years. So, <laughs> so we're going through uh, uh, your resume. You're, you're moving through, uh -huh. these, uh, um, through these shows. Uh, first seven years in the business, three shows. Next three years, seven shows. Wild. And that included, like, The Ellen Show. The Ellen Show. Which... Yeah. Co-created by Mitch Hurwitz. Yes. Well, that's how I got to know Mitch. Yeah. I worked in uh, Chicago on an ABC show called What About Joan? It was starring Joan Cusack. And I got to know John Levenstein, the guy running the show, very well. When that show was canceled, and, and I, I moved to Chicago for about three months to work on the show, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I only put on about 40 pounds. Uh, <laughs> All in more, sausage. Yeah, well, yeah, more pizza. Oh, that's a lot of breakfast. I, uh, <laughs> he said to Mitch who was an old friend of, of his, John Levenstein said, Mitch, um, when Chuck gets back to L.A., you should talk to him about working on The Ellen Show. And thank you, John, because it, 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 among other things, it meant I got to meet Mitch and interview to write on the show, and we hit it off. And I spent, I don't know, half a year on The Ellen Show before CBS canceled it. Everybody, I think, remembers Ellen, which I believe was on ABC. The Ellen Show was on CBS. Um, Jim Gaffigan, yeah. uh, uh, Mar Marty Mull, mm -hmm. Loris Leachman, Emily Rutherford, uh, and Ellen Generous. Friday night on CBS, I think as Ellen said, my people aren't home watching TV on Friday nights mm -hmm. on CBS. You mean lesbians? 
Uh, well, you know, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. If you're if you're if you're watching, C- well, also CBS. I mean, you know, God bless the network, but. It's a, it's, it a, skews a little older. Well, well, well what, average age deceased is the. But uh, <laughs> classic. But, Another classic. We're hitting a lot of classic. them today. But Mitch, I got to know, and I got to see his process. His process was spectacularly <clears throat> funny and spectacularly smart. Now, having like, uh, um, did you see something in him that you had not seen previously? I saw a level of intellectual organization that I had not seen. Intellectual organization. He would lay out stories, ideas, and themes in such a complicated sort of intricate way, even for a show that was ostensibly as simple as, as, a, mm-hmm. as a sitcom, that I marveled at what all he could keep in his mind, all he could call back, all he could retrieve, the little things he could plant on page three that you'd forget about and that would resurrect themselves on page 35. And he was also a great proponent of if they don't get it, it's really not our problem. Somebody will, and it'll be fun, mm-hmm. which manifested itself in a, in yeah, a big way definitely. on Arrested Development. Yeah, that's like a perfect description of Arrested yeah, Development. Yeah, yeah, and, and we're gonna do our thing. Thank God he caught on at least for a little while. Well, yeah, I I, I uh, don't recall where I went immediately after the Ellen show. I think it may have been a bar, uh, <laughs> but uh, when Mitch called me a few years later and said, I got a show called Arrested Development. You want to come and work on the pilot? And I went in and helped a little on the pilot. I don't think I helped much. Oh, you were there, right? Uh, that, but I thought I thought you, that was 2003, wasn't it? That was, whatever <coughs> year Arrested started, I but was I there for you, the pilot. Oh, but, but then were you, did you work there right away? I did not. Be, yeah, okay. In, because, uh, well, I'll say one thing. I'll say numerous things. I've already said lots of things. <laughs> Keep going. I'm keeping one track. One was... We'll keep a running count. I read the pilot and thought it was brilliant. Uh-huh. It was brilliant. It was really brilliant and and different. And I was I was sort of delighted that Mitch was, was making television this smart and this interesting. And I helped him on the pilot, and he, and he graciously said, come aboard on staff, and... I recalled that when I worked on The Ellen Show, I was going home at 3 and 4 and 5 in the morning with Mitch. And at this point, my kids were, I think, 3 and 5 or 4 and 6. And I said, Mitch, I appreciate it. God bless you. But I, I cannot go home at breakfast every day. And uh, so I'm not going to start the journey with you on Arrested Development. And uh, the first two years uh, went pretty well. They won a lot of Emmys with some supremely talented writers. Yeah, they won an Emmy their first year. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I went on a hilarious show called Less Than Perfect on ABC uh-huh. and had a great time there. And then by the end of the second year of Arrested, Mitch called and said, Chucky, I don't know how much longer we're going to be around. If you can suck it up, come on over for the third season. But you're still going to be here till 3 in the morning? Yeah, and that was the, ah. that was the implied agreement. Yeah, right. And um, uh, I, I said, at that time, I discussed it with my, my wife, Joanne, and, and uh, said, I'll, I'll see you in eight months. And she said, bye! And I went off and did the third season of Arrested and had a blast, and it was every bit as physical. You were already back in L.A.? Oh, yeah. After What About Joan? That was I, the only one that was uh, Yeah, I immediately moved back to, from Chicago to work on The Ellen Show, that was the only time I ever I ever left L.A. for work, mm-hmm. really. But yes, that last season of Arrested, I enjoyed myself immensely. Uh, Ron, uh, one of the, my co-writers, wound up in the hospital. Uh, I had a, bl- uh, a nosebleed that wouldn't stop. People, you're staggering around just exhausted and incoherent. That's you know? odd. I mean, like it's almost like an SNL, but every night yep. kind of schedule. Yep. <clears throat> what? And we you did. Know, was there was there was there a feeling? 
that that was worth it? I mean, the, you know, when you know, you, I mean, as a as a writer, this would not have been the first time that you were up at three o'clock in the morning working on something, and and I I certainly came up as a comic, and I would yeah. routinely be up, but because I didn't have to get up the next morning, and and the idea of uh, uh, you know working until that hour and then getting up in the morning and having to do it again seems counterproductive. It, like it, you just go nuts. Yeah, yeah, you would you would go nuts. I was lucky because. Those first two seasons, which I knew were going to be a descent into hell, other really, really talented people had, you know, made that descent. Go, made that descent and made that show great. Yeah, boy. And so it was. Show. It was easier for me to say, okay, the show is riding high. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be hell, rather than I don't know what's going to happen and it's going to be hell. Yeah, I, yeah. I walked into this show is a success sure. and it's going to be hell. Um, uh, I'll say this about Mitch's process. Um, he listens more than anybody I've ever seen. If you have an idea, you have your day in court, and this can be and this can be time consuming. You know, I I remember back in advertising, somebody saying to me, "You're the writer." There are no wrong answers because some writers will sit and stare at a computer screen. How should I? I wonder how to. What would be the best way? Start writing. Just start writing because you're going to figure out. And ultimately, will it be the best way? I don't think we can ever define the best way. But if you start writing and you have a, some talent and some energy, you'll come up with a funny, usable, wonderful way, I think. And what would happen uh, on any show that I've been on, I don't think we ever sit around trying to come up with the best way. We're going to come up as quickly as we can with something that makes us all laugh. Yeah, with a bunch of ways. And then just. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I have seen writers, and I think sometimes this happens. Um, if you're off writing a novel or trying to put together mm -hmm. the greatest sonnet of all time, it can be very time consuming because uh, when you commit, once you make that first big step into writing that scene or that opening sequence, you're off to the races and it better be right. And we've all written stuff where by page 20 we realize we're way off the rails and this is, this is ill-conceived. Um, and Mitch would just entertain every idea and look at it from every possible angle and, and it was time consuming. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding that I think they wound up Ultimately, the first three years was 54 episodes, I think, something like that. And I just, I was watching it just the other night, just laughing, just yeah. enjoying it. You know? Yeah, I mean, it was also just so obviously, it was different and it was influential and just the the kind of like uh, um, smash cut flashback thing oh. was uh, is, is, is utilized now by like a modern family, yeah. family guy, stuff like yeah. that, you know, yeah. in different ways. But uh, uh, they were really good at it. When you were writing those kind of things like uh -huh. in in particular the um i mean obviously it seems like this was a joke machine i mean that was one of the things about it is yep. how many jokes were in there and, and the way they slipped them in i mean just yep. like some great stuff i without seeming too geeky i i, I had to come up oh. with a couple of the examples uh, on the off chance that you wrote a couple oh, well, of them okay. which is you know okay. the, you never it's it, that's always a crapshoot yeah yeah <clears throat> every time somebody sees something on I, I see one of my friends oh that thing on the show last night was so good I, you wrote uh, that didn't you no, and i'm like really as far really as you know yeah yeah yeah, well, I'm arrested also. Uh, I mean, there were so many very, very, very funny, well, but smart the, writers. The things, the things that like get slipped in, like a friend of mine actually reminded me of this one uh, this morning. The um, She's a, uh, oh, your mother is a real country-loving, yeah, mu yeah, music-loving yeah, person. Yeah, the C word. Yeah, yeah oh, well, the, the, C, the C word yeah. was also like, we're going to have to get rid of the C, get word. Rid of the C word. I'm standing uh, right, right here. Right here, yeah. Oh, I was. I mean, that was my that that was my favorite line of the entire it was thing. So funny. It just floored me. It and then was... the whole like uh, you reminded me of another one with um, stuffing in her brownie. 
Yes, with yes, the pot. Yeah, yes, and then, yes. And then actually another one that is just like historical around our offices for sure, which is the... Uh, the, um, when David Cross became the, he was the, he was the nation's first analyst therapist. An analyst, yeah. An that was Jimmy Vallelie, as I recall. Jimmy Vallelie, we've got an analyst, we've got a therapist. Gold. And then you see the business card, and of course it's, it says anal rapist, you know, on the... <laughs> see, as, as, a, as a writer and the guy that's kind of like, is, whose job it is to be uh -huh. funny and come up with jokes, the, the the joy of even seeing something like oh that. Oh my god. And, 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 <laughs> and just wish not, not you know it goes beyond wishing you came up with it. It's sort of like, you know, just who cares who came up with it? I'm yeah. so glad that I get yeah. to see that. Well, I, I, so to funny. run home and see that on TV and and just laugh and laugh and laugh in a landscape which at that time and I mean to a certain extent today isn't that, that sophisticated that isn't that funny. It's hard. I mean I've been at this for two decades. It's hard to make me laugh. It's hard to make me really genuinely. Now, sometimes uh, I'll laugh hard at something at work because the harder we laugh, the earlier we go home. But that's completely different. You know? <laughs> I can cut that out. Well, right. well we're done here anyway, I, so it doesn't I, matter. <laughs> no, I, I remember, yes, I remember on Suddenly Susan after a, uh, we had a run through. And of course, you put a check mark beside a joke that works, and you put a P beside a joke that needs to be punched. One of my old friends used to put BR beside bad jokes. What does that stand for? Better writing, which I thought was good. Uh, <laughs> but after one run through at, at uh, Suddenly Susan, I noticed on my boss's script, some of the jokes said just, it said uh, JCT, JCT. And he was out of the room, and I, looked, I was looking through his script, and he came back, and I said, what is JCT beside all these jokes? And he said, that, that stands for Just Chuck Tatham. You were the only person laughing because you want to go home. I was like, oh, I saw you. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, we, all enjoyed we all enjoyed a nice laugh at that. But if I have, like, hockey tickets. <laughs> and so I, it's like it could be funny, but we got to take it in stride. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> you could say the worst joke in, in the, in, uh, of all time. I'll be staring at my watch going, oh, yeah. you know, let's keep moving. Dynamite stuff. I love Dynamite it. Dynamite stuff, Laura. Why are we even pausing to, come on, you know. <laughs> but I had a great time. I had a great time with Mitch. Uh, I learned a lot, and I was a very small part of something was I think is a little bit, I dare say, historic because that show is, it's it's remarkable and breathtaking. And, yeah. And and as I say, you can watch it now and just laugh. Just any episode, just turn it on and just start laughing. Right. Which is which is yeah. Which is rare. It's rare. All right. Well, we'll come back and uh, talk uh, more about the present and the future. I'm J.R. Havlin. This is Writer's Block. My guest is Chuck Tate. Chuck. What did I say? Juck? Juck. I just said Juck. That's fine. We... My guest is Juck. How, do you, how did they even get to Juck? It doesn't well, seem like it's, not, like it's not even on the way. Well, yeah. You've been, you're, you're, you're tired. You're from New York. It's I snowing. went A, B, D. I know it's one of these. So I'm going to get to it. We're, Chuck Tatum. We're in here with Muck. Yes. <laughs> we're in here with Muck. Yeah. Muck Matham, my good friend. We'll be right back. Juck. I called him Juck, but it was a fun little moment, wasn't it? And plenty more of those to come, but first, I wanted to get in my statements of appreciation, or thank yous. First to David Klatt, the man who thankfully agreed to help me produce Writer's Block. Willie Orbison, who helps me all the time and in many ways for reasons he has yet to spring on me. And All Things Comedy for including me in their amazing group of comedians and podcasts. Check them out, allthingscomedy.com. Follow them on Twitter, at allthingscomedy. Follow the show on Twitter, at writersblockpod. Follow me, at J.R. Havlin. Follow Chuck Tatham, at Uncle Chuckies. That's I-E-S. 
And as usual, please, please follow at Katy Perry. Lovely young lady. Give her a chance. It's all about supporting the arts. Speaking of which, let's get back to it. This is Writer's Block Podcast, episode 33, with my guest Chuck the Juck Tatham. All right. Chuck Tatham. Got it right. Nailed it. Nailed it. How I Met Your Mother, we're at the offices in uh, sunny, uh, uh, sunny Los Angeles, California. Uh, I'm here, it's uh, February, it's uh, Valentine's Day. Yes. Chuck and I just spent a little time during the break <laughs> confirming that. Yes. Let's just say we confirmed it. <laughs> we really did. It was nice. It was nice. <laughs> You'll be listening to this later, but uh, that's okay. Uh, um, <laughs> we're having a good time now, so that's what matters the most, I think. We were talking about uh, uh, Arrested Development and uh, what a great show it was, what a great influence it had. Uh, the process one, which was uh, uh, long and difficult, yeah. which is, uh, you know, I mean, look, I guess that's just the way that a, a showrunner decides to work. That's, you, you know, you your schedule is based yes. on the schedule that that person has decided over their life works for them. Yeah. And, uh, um, and, you know, I mean, I, I talked to Phil Rosenthal mm-hmm. um, a while ago. And uh, um, he's a guy that uh, had worked on a show that uh, um, went late and did all this stuff. And uh, um, when he started up his own, he decided, like, you know, look, I no, I, I have a family. These people have families. We're out of here at six. Yeah, That's just the way it's going to be. You're responsible for all these people. Yeah. And if, and if the writers are working late, the writer's assistants are working late. Right. And if the writer's assistants are working late, then the runners that take the, you know, the scripts, the prop people are up. Yeah. The, the set decorators yeah. are changing yeah. things. The earlier you can get this thing squared away, the better. Plus the electric bills. Oh my the god! Roof. And the snacks. I mean, you got to think about that. You can't just let that. <laughs> yeah, slide. no, you can't let it slide. Yeah, but it's I, the minutia, really. Yeah, that makes the, really. Who cares about me? Uh, I I know that time management has never been a part of the typical comedy writer's training, mm-hmm. but it should be because. Well, yeah, and it's, it's interesting when you because you know when we began this conversation, you were talking about what is fantastic advice at least your father I don't know if he knew what he was getting you into but yeah. I think he realized you know I don't think he was guiding you towards sitcom writing or anything like no, that but, no 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 but he just was, that talent is a thing that you should have yeah it, you you should and and it's hard to do unless it's forced upon you and that talent by the way in, in case you've forgotten in the past 45 minutes was to uh, uh, to be able to write under a deadline under write a fast, deadline. yeah try and, try and figure out how to write under a deadline give yourself deadlines if you have to I've also found that, for instance, I wrote an article which I thought might work, uh, just a piece for the New York Times a few years ago. But I don't know, should I send it in? When I, I sent it in, they, they, they called me and said, this was perfect. Something just fell out. This is perfect. And they just, just went bang in the Sunday Times. And it, right then I realized, don't hold it. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't think. Don't spin. Keep writing and sending and submitting and going. And the more you hold on to it, the more you play with it, the more everything needs to be murderously rewritten, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't don't. But you can't rewrite until you write it in the first place. Exactly. That's what I've always said. You know, as hard as it is to get going, most of the time, sometimes what what holds me back from, you know, even starting up a project is the... uh, um, just absolutely a hundred percent ridiculous idea that it's not going to change like this. Oh my God! You know what? It was actually. Uh, uh, do you know uh, Megan Gans? I know um, her name. Yeah, she's uh, at Modern Family yes, now. Yes, she was, yes, uh, yes. Um, she, she was a Community. Uh huh. And I think it was a Community where she was saying that uh, they had this system uh, uh, called spit spit draft. 
Oh yeah, the spit draft where you don't write the dialogue, Barbie you draft. just write something like, and then they went over and said something funny. Yeah, and so and so does this so that it has. The lay same. it out, lay it out, lay yeah. it out, and then you and then you, you get the story that way, and you feel so much better. You're absolutely right because you'll be on tw- page twenty three, laying it and go. Wait a second, I haven't sweated much of this dialogue at all, but this doesn't work. This shouldn't be happening, and you'll you you will have done it. You could do that in a day and yeah. figure it out rather than a month. Right. Yeah, yeah, because I'm, you'll I'm, see young writers <laughs> sweating the first joke on the first page. It's like keep going. Keep going. Yeah, this is, a, this is a spit draft or a garbage get draft. Page, get to page two. Absolutely. The, the, uh, um, the other thing that I realized once you mentioned that uh, uh, that system was that what, you know the not when you when you're spending a lot of time uh, working on a, on a certain line or or, or yeah. a certain dialogue uh, at the beginning. Not only are you spending that time on something that you're likely to rewrite anyway, you're you're, you're slowing yourself down, and you're also spending time on something that might not fit with what's going Absolutely. later. And and if you don't really know the, the whole story, the whole outline, or the other places that this thing is going to go and let yourself just sort of go there find first, it, once it. you get there, then coming back and changing is. the dialogue in order to get you there is not only easier, but actually far more productive because you can start doing those kind of things. You were talking about with Mitch where it's like page 3 and page 27 because yep. you know now what's You know what's going to happen. You, you know, and, and we, we call them technically callbacks where... And there's great satisfaction in writing them and seeing them where you've set something up. The reverse of that does not work. I'm going to set this up on page two, and I'm going to pay it off later, I bet. And then you I bet. Yeah, you're right? <laughs> dot, 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 I bet. And you don't pay it off, and you realize you, you wasted a lot of time really, you know, as we might say, polishing a turd. You're, you're, you're taking a thing at the front of the episode and working your ass off on it, and you should just be charging ahead uh, and figuring it out. And then ultimately, once you like the story... Then you're rewriting dialogue. Then you're getting in there and saying this stuff isn't that joke isn't quite as good as it should be, or we can sharpen that, or whatever. Um, and if you're a young writer, and I do recall one writer in specific, she would defend the jokes that were in the, that she had in the script. Mm-hmm. And some gentle soul had to take her aside and say nobody's allowed to defend their jokes. It doesn't matter if you've been here a day or a, a millennium; they're all disposable. They're all disposable. No joke has ever been written, and there have been some pretty darn good jokes written over time that isn't disposable in service of the story. And that was very hard for me to understand. I remember years ago, an agent saying, as long as somebody, you know, we can get somebody to write this cohesive screenplay, it was actually a film, we can get some, we just get anybody to make it funny. And I was, I took great umbrage that anybody to make it funny, that's very hard to do. Mm -hmm. The longer I'm in the business, the more I realize, no, not anybody can make it funny, but it is a waste of time making it funny before the story works. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right, right. I get because that. It, yeah, because oh, and that that was actually what I forgot in that whole thing that I was just talking about is that then um, the the additional uh, pitfall <clears throat> of wanting to hang on to a joke. Yeah, this is a great joke, and then and then you, when you when you realize it doesn't work with the story, you still want to try to find a way to hang well, on to that yeah. joke, and you screw yourself because it just it, it doesn't it ruins, work. Yeah. It doesn't work, and it Let becomes it you know it becomes to someone with the eye, someone who knows. Uh, an obvious uh, error. Yes, and and it's very empowering to let go of those jokes. At first, it's demoralizing, but it's very empowering to let go of those jokes because when you write another joke which delights you, wow, I can do that. I can get rid of things that I, I, I was worshipping without fear of hurting the whole product because I can do something else. Yeah, you well, know? you know, I mean, uh, um, at The Daily Show, I uh, am, first of all, uh, under constant uh, time constraints. Uh-huh. And it's just something that you grow accustomed to. And in a way, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an easier way to work. I mean, and and the, the, the feel, there's, there's pressure, 
Yeah. But you get used to that and you realize that, look, I have to be at a certain point by here and I got to be at a certain point by here. And if when no matter where I am by here, I got to clean this shit up and make it look halfway decent. Yes. Uh-huh. And um, the uh, uh, one nice thing about it is you're surrounded by people who are very competent. So, you know, it's like, like, look, I just do the best that I can in this time period, day after day yep. after day. And, uh, I, and I know, first of all, that a lot of what I'm writing on this first draft is really just sort of clay to get to where we're going. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily have to nail it, but that doesn't stop you from wanting to try. Yeah. But I also know that other people are going to have my back if I don't quite Oh, get it's it. great to know other people have your back. I, I, I shouldn't even talk about pressure you know, in relative terms because you're doing something every day. At the Daily Show, we're doing something once a week. I mean, we you know you still come down to the deadlines, and you have your own deadlines during yeah, the day. I would imagine. Yeah, we have our own deadlines. I mean, it's a uh, uh, table read Monday, rewrite Monday night, uh, rehearse it Tuesday, have a run through, rewrite it Tuesday night, and then shoot it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and no audience. What that shooting uh, instead of uh, shooting on a Friday night, like like most conventional multicams in front of an audience, we have more time. We can spend Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If something doesn't work, we can literally. Hold it. Walk on. Walk up to the actors and discuss. You know how to make it better. Mm-hmm. And that was an idea from uh, Carter Bass and Craig Thomas, the guys who created How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't want to do an audience show, but they wanted to do a show that had a sort of a single camera feel. And when you look at a traditional sitcom script and you see maybe uh, ten or twelve or fourteen scenes, and then you look at a How I Met Your Mother with sixty-five or seventy-five scenes. Seriously, yeah. Wow. Because the best way to, to sort of, I think encapsulate it. Traditionally, if I said in a sitcom, let me tell you about how bad a cook my cousin is, I would tell you a joke on how I met your mother with flashback to, we will literally see that cousin being a bad cook. And these guys, Carter and Craig, wanted to just visualize all this stuff. It's a visual medium. Which again, that's, 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 uh, a, you know, uh, uh, arrested development. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just, 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 we can pop they, they, pre- they showed that that thing could, I mean, they, yeah. they introduced what ended up being, I mean, this is just like an amazing tool for comedy writers. That, yes. That, that whole, like, we're just going to show you. Well, we're going we're gonna to show you, instead of telling, we're going to show you. But you still and have to figure out how to present that. You I still mean, have to figure out trick to that. How, how to present it. And, how ironic do you want to be? How much? How far do you want to get away from reality? I mean, we, forever and a day, we've had narrators who would say things like, but he had a little bit of trouble getting out of the garage, and then the car would explode coming out of the garage. And we'd all enjoy the fact that the narrator was soft-pedaling the fact that what we're seeing is, is carnage. Um, we don't want to abuse this. Yeah, this, not, that, that can happen. Yeah, it can happen. I find it a little jarring sometimes. sometimes when there's too to many of them, in, yeah. Yeah. As much as I like a good joke, I really appreciate them when they're like organic and character driven. Well, uh, one of the nice things about How I Met Your Mother is the Barney Stinson character, Neil Patrick Harris, is a fantastic character. He has a he has a very imaginative mind, and he's 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 hyperbole personified basically. And what that means is he does a lot of the flashbacks because his mind works that way. They they don't seem gratuitous. Let me tell you about my uncle. He invented paper. What you know? You know he's delusional, but you're looking forward to this 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 flashback rather than being lazy and using it as a storytelling device. We we try to be as judicious as we can be using yeah. the, using the flashbacks, um, but getting three days to shoot means we do we we have the time, we have yeah. the opportunity to do these little things, and I I feel a little bit sorry, not sorry, but but a show that has to do five hours in front of uh, uh, an audience on a Friday night. 
doesn't have nearly the creative latitude that we've got. Yeah, sure, right. right. And a single camera show, like a modern family, obviously there's no audience, it takes them seven or, or five or six or seven or eight days to, to shoot an episode. I think uh, uh, at this point they probably shoot them in five, but uh, uh, that's rigorous. I mean, that's yeah. 6 a.m. Somebody's got to be in Burbank to shoot the scene with the ba ba da ba. Yeah. And and uh, they do a lot on their stage, I think. But 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 single camera shooting single camera is also incredibly labor intensive. Right. Um, but I like the, the system the guys set up here. And uh, as a, as I say, our our last day is two weeks from today, and I'm gonna I'm gonna miss uh, this place. And the craft service here is excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I've put on yeah, a tremendous amount of weight. That. That's yeah, usually I'm... part four of the, the interviews. <laughs> Tell me about your craft well, services. Well, it's funny. We were talking yesterday. Could we, any of us, could we continue on in any job where lunch wasn't free? The problem is not the craft services or whether or not they're good. The food is usually pretty good. The mm-hmm. problem is that there's a cake table. Yeah. <laughs> and a... if I don't see it, it's yeah. much easier for me to stay away from exactly. it. I can go down and be like, all right, I'm just going to go down and I'm going to oh. make myself a salad. It's a nice salad. Light on the dressing. Yeah. Don't, don't want to kid yourself. Right, Don't right. want to kid yourself. Yeah, Put that yeah. on there. Well, there's a, what is that, a... Some kind of cake. There's a big. Uh, there's a cake. There's a cake over there. Cake. Yeah. Is that, is, yeah. That a, is somebody having a birthday? That no. That's just oh. the daily cake. Well, happy birthday to me. <laughs> happy birthday to me. We have. If you get a chance to go onto our stage, we have a a little case that opens up almost like you're in some like a jewelry store or something for the donuts. It's a little plastic thing with two doors. So it keeps them fresh. Keeps them fresh. Well, well, they don't. There's no possible way they can get stale. No donut has ever been on our stage for more than nine minutes. You know. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's no worries there. I mean, I'm I'm tackling the guy before he gets to the stage with the donuts. Like a feeding frenzy. Oh, uh, it's ridiculous. But but way back when, some wise and generous soul said they will not pay for lunch because they work through lunch. Mm-hmm. By virtue of working through lunch, these poor maniacs, these ink-stained wretches, they can't get out and get a proper lunch. So we'll pay for them. Now, flash forward to 2014. I think most of humanity works through lunch. Yeah, and and you, you know. can you can easily order something and have somebody bring it to your desk. Yes. but the yeah. system is in place, and thanks to those Thank people. Thank God, bless yeah. them for bringing us. And it's it's a it's a Christmas. You don't know if you're getting a chicken pot pie or a lasagna or a, a giant cookie. And and then there's food trucks. We have regular food trucks with ice come cream. Come through here, and it's probably a cafeteria here. It's, and stuff too. and there's a great commissary uh, just across the way. <laughs> it's funny we're talking about. We just evolved. <laughs> <laughs> like, but we clearly were, we're it's lunchtime. Yeah, we're both yeah, yeah. Right now. Let me see what time it is. Yeah. Is it lunchtime? Even yeah. if it was, even if it was uh, nine in the morning, uh, it would be lunchtime. Yeah, the, uh, um, I, the, at, uh, we often get surprises where there'll be an announcement like there's, you know, the Ben and Jerry's making Sundays downstairs. Yep, yep, yep. yep. But, so you, just last week, there, here comes that announcement. Ben and Jerry's ice cream downstairs, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're serving new flavors, so I go. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I just go down and check it out. Right. Turns out it's Jerry. Jerry is down oh, there. Wow. And Jerry is serving up new flavors of ice cream. Oh wow, that's pretty. <laughs> like, well, no, it. I gotta try. Yeah, that's like that's my excuse that's, for that. I have to try it. I can't well, have Jerry come down. The fact that you had to walk down for it, I mean, that's also a barrier to eating it because they will bring us our food and slide it in front of us at the table. Mm. So you feel it's you're basically veal. You're packed into a chair, and they're just <laughs> there. Might as well be some sort of funnel, you know. All right. So before we go, I wanted to ask you something yes. that uh, um, uh, that I that I had in mind. Here's here's the question: uh, twenty three or thirty seven? What's a funnier number and why? Thirty seven, I think. Thirty seven. Yeah, okay. Let's yeah, talk sure. about why. I think thirty seven is is a little bit more of a thinker. You yeah. know, it, it gets you it gets you twenty three feels a little easy. 
You know, uh, I, it's I, just, picked, I picked it kind of a bad one because those are off the top of my head, but you got your whole Jordan affiliation there, and it just sort Jordan of like seems too common. It's commonplace. Yeah, it's, 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 it's commonplace. It's also, it's, I mean, with all due respect to eight, which I've, I always liked eight, yeah. but uh, it's closer to zero. 37 feels like you worked to get to it, like you went through all the numbers up to 37 and said, yeah, it's also, it's, it's a mouthful, 37, 20, 23. 37. You can, I think you could probably do Yeah, more. I suppose yeah. you can easily be intrigued by what there are 37 of. Yes. That would be so interesting as to have to see that well, number. Well, what was, the, what was the, the Steve Martin joke, and I'm paraphrasing from way back, the first time he saw the the uh, Radio City Music Hall Rockettes, uh, there must be 57 tits up there, right? And so you're... 57 tits. So you get into an odd number. When you get into an odd number, I will, I will say, and again, with all yeah. due respect to eight... I'll always go. <laughs> you gotta give it up for eight. I will. I will. Eight. I don't know. I always like. I'm sorry, eight. eight but I many, have to say this. Yes. How many omelets did you have? I I I had eight. You know, but <laughs> but you, you know something like that. Uh, but, so good. But if you, I always found even numbers to be soft. Just even numbers. I say that with all due respect to eight. Two, four, six, they're easy. You give me 37. Now, 23 is Something's a off. Something's, something's missing. Uh, something Something's right. missing. we got to look right. into this. And ah, I love it. It also sounds like it's kind of like somebody screwed up a calendar. I'll, I'll, can we have lunch on the 37th? You know, that sounds like there might be something there. But the 23rd, you could. So. <laughs> Fantastic, Chuck. Uh, I love it. Uh, uh, Chuck Tatham, writer for How I Met Your Mother. The Thank you, Chuck. The big finale is uh, maybe... Potentially already happened. Uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, my schedule. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't put these things out every day, but uh, it doesn't matter. This was very interesting. It's great to meet you, and uh, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, good luck to all the writers out there. Uh, keep writing, and uh, have a clock nearby to keep you going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it done. Just yeah. get it done. Get it down, and then you can redo it. Exactly. That's the whole job, and you exactly. have and have fun redoing it. Yeah. Thanks, Relive John. it. All right. Say good night, Chuck. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks. That's it, blockheads. Before I wrap this up, I just want to repeat one thing Chuck said in this last segment. It's a priceless nugget. There's no joke that isn't disposable in service of the story. That's gospel, baby. You might not like it, but it's a fact. Keep it in mind while you're doing your thing. Coming up on Writer's Block Podcast, my conversation with comedian, actress, writer, and great friend, Miss Lisa Ann Walters, who treats us to her almost never-ending experience with pitching ideas to people who can actually help you get them made. This one is fully loaded with the Writer's Block 3E promise. Education, entertainment, and... I'm going to say eroticism? I don't know. I guess it's just a 2E promise? I didn't really think that one through. The point is... Don't miss episode 34 with guest Lisa Ann Walters coming at you March 19th. Until then, say goodnight, blockheads.